Hello and welcome to the Deeper Eye podcast. I am Lara Ferris, your host. For many years, I have been passionate about self-improvement. Through this, I have met the best specialists in their field who have given me tools and the courage to pursue a new path. The purpose of this podcast is to share with you everything I have learned through the conversations I have had with these amazing people. I hope these conversations will impact your life as they did to mine. I'm back with my one and favorite Andrew Wallace today for law number five of the Deepak Chopra, the seven spiritual laws of success. Today's laws is very important, especially for a new beginning of the year. It's the law of intention and desire. Andrew Wallace has been, since the age of 28 years old, working in financial organization, very successful ones. And despite his big success in the financial world, he always felt a lack of fulfillment and it was followed by a major meltdown and a powerful personal awakening. And that led him to study for a degree in theology and master's in psychology. He opened a clinical practice helping supporting individual and divide a set of guiding principles which has been he has been practicing and teaching for over 40 years. I'm just reminding you of this to give you also a perspective of what success means. Despite him being extremely successful in the financial world, he didn't feel that was the success he wanted and moved to digging inside for discovering the real him, like we're trying to do to help you do, to help you reach with all these podcasts. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation with Andrew about law number five of the seven spiritual laws of success of Deepak Chopra, the law of intention and desire. Good morning, Andrew, and thank you again for joining me today to talk about law number five. Today is the law of intention and desire. And just as a quick recap to talk about what we've been talking about the previous weeks, it's the seven spiritual laws of success by Deepak Chopra. And we went through law number one, which was the law of pure potentiality. Law number two, the law of giving and receiving. Law number three was the law of karma or cause and effect. And the law number four was the law of least effort. Today, law number five is the law of intention and desire. When I was reading this law again before our meeting, I just remembered a lot your book on intentions because you speak a lot about how important it is not just to say what you want in life, but to make sure you plant the seed in the right environment and you do what it takes to make the seed grow because it's one thing to have an intention, but it's another thing to follow up with what you need to be and what you need to believe in your heart, in your being to make this intention grow. So I'm really looking forward to hear your view and 
your explanation on this law and tell us more about it. And if possible, as you know, I love tools. So if you can give us the tools that we need to apply it. Well, good morning, Laura. I agree with everything you say. <laughs> Thank <laughs> Just, you. There, there's At least there's one. nothing more to say. <laughs> So you're right that this is one of my favorite laws because I wrote a book called Intention. And what we're going to do today, I hope, is talk about the difference between an intention and a desire. Yeah. We're going to talk about the difference between an intention and a goal. Lots of people listening will be familiar with goal setting. They will have used goal setting in their personal life or their professional mm -hmm. life. Um, and we're also going to talk about the link between intention and alignment. Yes. And then finally, we're going to talk about the relationship between intention and law number one, which, as you said, is the law of pure potentiality mm -hmm. or sometimes referred to as the field of infinite possibility. Yes. We've got a lot to get through today. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I've been saying for more than 20 years, in, in my experience and practicing these things, intention is the most underrated power in the universe. Yeah. Intention is phenomenal. And when we begin to understand the power of intention, when we begin to understand the practicing of intention, mm -hmm. then we can create whatever reality we like. And one of the things you've heard me say often is that nothing exists without intention. I've been saying that to multiple groups all over the world for 20 years, and nobody's ever disagreed with it. But, you know, the house that you live in doesn't exist without intention. The car that you drive, the clothes that you wear, you know, Apple doesn't exist without intention. Amazon doesn't. It. The world around us, the whole of the material world which we live in, none of that exists without intention. And if that is true, then surely we should study intention. We should learn a little bit more about intention and then practice it in our lives. So one of the things that, uh, or the first thing I want to say about intention, which is critical to understand, is that intention contains everything within it to create, to manifest something in the outer world. So it's like a seed. Yeah. You, you use the yeah. analogy of a yeah. seed. So the seed, a pumpkin seed, contains everything it needs to create this massive, great pumpkin. An oak comes from an acorn. The acorn contains everything it needs to become a massive, great oak tree. It needs some water and it needs some sunlight, but it doesn't need very much. And it's exactly the same with intention. Yeah. The distinction between intention and desire, which we'll come back to later in the series, is that desire has an attachment to outcome. So I desire a glass of water. I'm attached to getting a glass of water. I desire a piece of carrot cake. I want the carrot cake. I desire, you know, 10,000 pounds, I become attached to the 10,000 pounds. Intention for it to manifest, you need to be detached or non-attached to outcome. And that's one of the laws. It's the sixth mm -hmm. law that we're going to come to next time. So it's very important to understand 
that distinction that when we create an intention, we consciously detach from the outcome. And and this is a critical part. We'll probably come back to this today. The the other thing, uh, the other distinction that we want to make is that people are very familiar with goal setting and we use goal setting in a number of different ways. Now, goal setting is a very rational, very left brain activity. And as human beings, we tend to live our lives at least 90%, maybe more from the mind and in particular from the left brain, which is very rational, logical, analytical, and that's how the world works. Intention comes from the left brain, the right brain, the heart, and the gut. So it's a much broader, Mm -hmm. deeper bodily, physical experience. We need to allow our intention to arise from the body. It's not a brain activity. Does that make sense? sense. I was just thinking, if I can just go back two minutes backwards and you know initially you said that um intention is one of the things that we're we're not exploring that enough is one of the things the least explored because it's related to um not, not being attached to the outcome don't you think it's that's the reason because very few people have this ability to reach that consciousness of wanting something, feeling they want it so badly, but at the same time being detached of the outcome? I I think you're right. I think there are two very different and very distinct aspects or obstacles that get in the way of this. The, The first is that I think most people most of the time are not really that conscious of what they're doing and what they're creating. They're working and living from habit and from software programs that have been set up decades Mm -hmm. ago in their families of origin, in their religions, in their schools, in their societies, in their cultures. So if you take your culture, Mm -hmm. which is very different from my culture, we we have different software programs that are running all the time. So intention requires the first requirement of setting intention or reflecting on intention is to create space and quality time, which takes us back into the first law of the field of infinite possibility. So this is is the link. We need to withdraw from the outer world that the first law talks about being outer anchored in the outer world or anchored in the inner world. We need to withdraw from the frenetic activity and noise of the outer world, Mm -hmm. and we need to connect with our inner world before we do anything else. And the second reason is the reason that you gave that people agitate Mm -hmm. and obsess about the outcome. They attach to the outcome. So again, it's very helpful to use our analogy of the seed. So if we plant a seed in the ground, whatever it is, it could be a pumpkin seed, it could be a tomato seed, whatever, in March or whenever you plant. I'm not a great gardener, but, you know, we plant the seed and we have good quality soil. What most people do is we go out there every day for the next 10 days and say, what's happening, what's happening? There's nothing happening. Where is it? Is that, you know, 
And, and this is how we live our lives. We agitate it. We get over-involved in it. You do not trust that the seed is germinating. And then when it comes up as a, a fledging little, um, uh, whatever you call seedling, again, we look at it and we think, oh my God, it's so tiny, it's so fragile, the wind is going to just blah, blah, blah. And, and this is how we get with our intentions. Yes. We we start worrying and agitating and trying to control it and trying to, and, and this is the worst thing you can do. If you just stand back and you trust, I've planted my seed, I trust that the seed and the environment knows what it's doing, that this will unfold and this will emerge in its own time, in its own yeah, way. Yeah. And the, 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 your role is just to make sure it has everything it needs, which is sunlight, water, and, you know. Correct. Yeah. It, 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 there's, again, it's, it's a great analogy because there's very little it needs. As you say, it needs a bit of water mm. and it needs some sunlight. Yeah. So if you plant your seed in the corner over an overhanging concrete mm. shelter or something, mm. it's not yeah, going to grow. Exactly. And that's an absurd example, but that is the point. In, in exactly the same way that if you drench your seed with water, it will drown. Yeah. Or if you, um, if it's very dry and there's been no rain for seven, eight weeks and you don't give it any water, it will not flourish. Yeah. Most interestingly enough, most plants and most seeds are overwatered. Mm -hmm. Very few are underwatered. Mm -hmm. So it, it's the same with the way we live our lives. We agitate and we, we're anxious and we're over involved with our intentions. Yeah. Now, this this links us to the idea of alignment because it's a little bit technical, but it's quite a useful reference. Yeah. In logic, what mathematicians and logicians say, there are things which are necessary conditions and there are things that are sufficient conditions. And then there are some things which are necessary and sufficient conditions. So intention is not sufficient in itself. It's necessary but you need alignment. And the reason for that, we can explain, you know, with very simple examples. If I set an intention to lose some weight, I want to lose 10 kilograms of weight. And two days after setting the intention, I'm in a cafe and I order one or two bits of, of cheesecake or carrot cake. I'm not in alignment with the attention. Immediately, I'm setting out of uh, my intention. Yeah. And this, this is what we do. We set an intention to quit smoking, to get fit. We set an intention to get fit. We take out a gym membership. And then within three weeks, we stop going to the gym. So you're not going to manifest that intention. So whatever our intention is, the equivalent of providing sunlight and water is to create alignment with that intention, to ask, how do I align myself with that intention? If, in the same way, if I say I want to make a million pounds, well, if, if I don't go to work, if I don't leave my bedroom, if I don't, if I don't get out of bed till 11 o'clock or whatever it is, I'm out of alignment. Yeah. You, you can't do that. It would be nice if you could, you know, by sitting, listening to your favorite music all day yeah, long. Yeah, exactly. This is a great example because it gives us also the the idea. It reminds us that there is a way we can be active in this. We don't just desire it like you explained. You put an intention, you follow it through, you stay aligned, you uh, you have a role to play. 
you know, to make sure you're aligned with what you wanted initially to see happening. Exactly. And I do think that for all of these laws, but for this one in particular, I think nature is the most perfect teacher. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you look around us and, and every autumn, the leaves all fall from the trees in December, January, where we are now, everything looks dead. Mm -hmm. And then in March, it all comes alive and you see these thousands of buds which turn into bright green leaves. You know, every blade of, of grass has this amazing intention and infinite organizing power. Yeah. And it's the same with everything in, in nature, with, with, you know, apple trees, with cherry trees. And, and it's vibrant, uh, but it absolutely knows how to fulfill its intention and that's what we've got to learn from and to trust we create our intention we we plant it like a seed in the ground and then we create an alignment with that intention Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. can i just i don't know if it's the right time to ask you this but you if it's not you take it and maybe you answer it later Many of us think we want something and that's better for us. Like we set an intention thinking that's the best for us. And I think the bigger scheme that like the the world, the universe has other plans for us, you know, and we don't realize at that moment when we set our intention that this other plan could be better for us. Can you touch base on that at the end, if you can, please? Yeah, no, let's do it now, because I think that's a really great point. And it, it's, uh, it's thrown me many times in my lifetime, and I know others. And it also reminds me of a second point that I think is worth addressing. Mm-hmm. So what happened to me recently is I set an intention yeah. for my business life. Yeah that I wanted to work with, I wrote this book, Business Alchemy, and I created this new uh, system for business. uh, It's an alternative way of doing business. And I I set the intention around this. And in my mind, when I set that intention, I had a very clear idea that I would be working with 20, 30 businesses. Mm -hmm. So I always imagined myself working with 20, 30 businesses. And what happened quite soon after that, I got a call out of the blue from someone I hadn't seen for 15, 16 years. And he asked me to have a cup of tea and he wanted me to do a management buyout of a business. And I sort of said no. And it was only through a conversation with my wife. She said, you're definitely going to do that. And I said, am I? (laughs) And I I ended up helping this individual and others to buy this business. And and we had 45 people and, and everyone in the business then applied my principles that I'd been working on and writing about. And the business just took off and we now employ over a hundred people. It's phenomenally successful. So the picture in my mind did not match the picture of what happened. But but what what we organized is we we found a writer who's writing a very detailed case study of this particular business. And that will be a launch pad from which we can then apply these principles to other businesses. So you're absolutely right. There's a little bit of a a long-winded example that, but what's important about it 
is that my image in my mind was creating attachment to a particular outcome. I thought I knew what the outcome would be. And if I had rigidly held on to that instead of there, it took me a while because I'm slow and I'm thick, but there was a moment when I had an epiphany and, oh my God, yeah. what's happening is better than what I'd imagined. Mm, mm, mm. And it, it, you know, it takes a little bit of practice yeah. at that. And sometimes it requires a little bit of faith or blind trust. You know, there's this expression that I, I used to hate, I never liked it, called fake it to make it. Now I quite like it. Sometimes we have to say, okay, I'll trust this. I don't understand it, but I've set my intention. This is what's happening. I'm going to trust this rather than keeping this rigid idea or this rigid attachment to how I think it's going to look. I guess the term fake it and you make it, maybe you didn't like it before because it's the term, you're not really faking it. You're just accepting actually that it's not exactly what you want. You're going with it until you see the bigger picture of what's coming instead of being yes. rigid as saying, you know, no, I don't want this. The, the reason I didn't yeah. like it was it kind of used to feel and still does somehow feel inauthentic. Yeah, yeah it, you know, exactly. Like, so, but what I've learned is that just by, you know, I used to use the example that, you know, some days I, I go to London, I'm in harmony with my wife, I'm totally in love, and I come home and I buy a big bunch of flowers and I say, I love you, darling. On other days, maybe we've had a big row, she's upset me, I feel hurt. And on the way back, I buy a big bunch of flowers and I say, darling, I love you through gritted teeth, yeah, maybe, yeah, you know, yeah. which is the greater act of love? Well, I agree. I, I think the second, but um, I don't know, there is something in that that bothers me because I, I love the fact that you've been teaching me for, for years to, to live the feeling I'm going through, not to act from yes. a from my little wounded child to respond to my feeling, but just accept it. So I'm not really faking it. I'm just saying, okay, I'm just living that. I don't like it. But the act of going and buying flowers for your wife is just in a way accepting that you're not in a good place at the moment, but you know, for every action, there is a consequence and you know that coming home with flowers will lead you to a better place in your life with her, with, with everything, than trying to escalate an issue. So I totally understand the concept. It's just that... And I, I think your distinction, Lara, is perfect. It absolutely hits the spot because, you know, we have been teaching each other and encouraging mm -hmm. to be true to your feelings, yeah. to have your feelings, not to repress mm. them. So, you know, if we feel very hateful or very angry or we have the feelings and we accept our feelings, we honour mm. them, we don't make them mm. bad, but we don't have to act from that exactly. wound, from that hurt feeling. And so what we're doing is we're having our feelings and we're rising above them. It's about being the bigger person yeah. and saying, my intention mm is to deepen my love for my yeah. wife. My intention, part of my intention is to have a harmonious, loving relationship with my life. So I'm rising out of the hurt feeling. I'm not suppressing it. I'm not denying it. Mm. And I'm aligning with the intention.
And that it is a subtle distinction and it's really important. The other thing I wanted to touch on, because your question gave rise to this in my mind, uh, and it causes a lot of confusion and sometimes misunderstanding for people. Of course, our mind and our being is made up of uh, a conscious mind and an unconscious mm -hmm. mind. So t sometimes we have a conscious intention which is in conflict with an unconscious intention. Mm -hmm. And the unconscious is always stronger than the conscious. To use a, a very simple example is, you know, I've worked with a lot of women in their 30s, 40s who are single and they say they want a relationship. And they might be going to lots of dating apps and social parties and they meet lots of men, but none of them are quite right. And I sit with them and they, they tell me 300% they want a relationship. And the starting point, I always say to them, well, 50, we know that 51% or more of you does not want a relationship. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people get very angry when you tell them that. But the truth is that if they truly wanted a relationship, they'd be in a relationship. The fact that they're not in a relationship mm -hmm. means it's the same. It applies to anything. If people say, you know, I want to be wealthy yeah. and, and, you know, every day for the last six years, they, they're, you know, scrimping and saving and they can't afford basic things. We, we know that unconsciously there is an intention to keep themselves poor. Yeah. And, and sometimes people struggle with this, but, but it's really simple and it cannot be otherwise. So the intelligent question is to always start by asking, by sitting with ourselves and saying, what is the obstacle in the unconscious? And the obstacle will be an old pattern. It will be an old piece of software, which might be when I had money, I lost it all. And the agony of losing it all was worse, anyone who's had money and lost it will tell you it's, it's much more painful than never having yeah. had it. Uh, and if that happens in our lives at a critical time, we think, why would you ever want money again? Because the pain of losing it Absolutely. was so great. Yeah. Or it might be that I had all this money and we, we had this money and, and someone was really cruel to me or I had a very abusive relationship. So I equate, it doesn't matter what it is. It, it might be that, you know, my father had a lot of money and he treated his family very badly, but there'll be an old pattern. Mm -hmm. And what we're here to do is to clear these unconscious yeah. patterns. In, in the Eastern tradition, in, in the Vedas and the Vedic tradition, they're called sanskaras. And uh, you and I have talked about this before, but I, I think one of the reasons for us incarnating in each lifetime is to clear these ancestral patterns. And they're different for each of us. Yeah. You know, my, my wife's ancestral patterns are very different to mine, are very different to yours. And we can support each other to bring awareness of these. Mm -hmm. Awareness is a necessary uh, prerequisite to healing anything. Yeah. And then we can begin to heal it so that once we clear the obstacle, the intention is much more pure and much more likely to manifest. And the beauty of this, when you start seeing that and understanding that the world, the universe, or whatever we call it, each time we find a new word, responds 
to that part of you, to the part that you are not very conscious of. This is the magic and the frustrating, I think, part of of life. (laughs) And this is probably why I come back to that, because it's very powerful what you started saying, I think, personally, that it is so undervalued, underused, this power of intention. Like so many people think they're mastering it, but very few really, Andrew, get to have an intention and see it through because of the example you've just given. And also there is a a lack of everything count, like the lack of confidence, the lack of self-esteem. I think a human being has to deal with all of this before reaching that power. Do, do Do you agree with this? Well, it certainly has to be willing to have awareness yeah. of it because, as you've heard me say many times, low self-esteem is not a problem in itself. Mm-hmm. Not wanting a low self-esteem is a massive yes. problem. So if we simply accept, uh, you know, we talked about this a little mm. bit before coming live, that I certainly have a pettiness and a meanness mm-hmm. in me, and, and I'm very comfortable. I, I'm very comfortable with that. I don't operate from that much of the time, but sometimes yeah. I do. If we don't want to be mean or if we don't want to be petty and, and we try to suppress that or hide it, it does become a block to manifestation. It becomes an obstacle. Yeah. So the clearness Deepak Chopra, somewhere in the book, I'm not sure where, but my wife's always quoting it back Mm. at me, that he uses the analogy of having a dirty rag and washing it in the stream multiple, multiple times. Mm. You keep creating a new layer of freshness. And that's how it is with the unconscious. And, you know, just linking this, you're right to raise the power and the importance of the unconscious. It's a little bit like sometimes. I think of the sea. I love the ocean. I love swimming in the sea. When you have a relationship with the sea, you become aware of this incredible power that is harnessed by the ocean. And if you don't respect that and honor that, you get into trouble. And equally, you hear me talk about, sometimes I use the expression, the quantum field. Sometimes we use the expression, the field of infinite possibility. When we're referring to that, the unconscious, the, the field of infinite possibility, this is the the unmanifest field or the latent field. We've talked about in an earlier session that the the material universe, what we call the material universe, which is everything that is, is less than 2% of what is. Yeah. You know, more than 98% of what is, is space or is nothingness. And it's out of that nothingness, out of the unconscious, that manifestation arises. So all of these laws link together that when we're willing to step away from the manifest universe, away from the attachment, away from the agitation, away from trying to control the outer and sit with the inner world, which is the quantum field, the the field of infinite possibility. When we place our seeds, our metaphorical seeds, in that field of infinite possibility, the power is is tremendous because there's a clarity and a transparency in that infinite field. Mm. 
this magic that happens when you're in silence, Andrew, can we talk just a little bit about this? Because we always tend to just want to be in action constantly. You know, I yeah, should be doing this. I should be doing this. And I mean, my own particular take on this, and, you know, there are many, many wise people that would, would have a slightly different view, but my own view is that we tend to complicate or mystify this a little bit too much. So obviously, you know, over the last sort of 40 years, mm. there's been this wave of interest in yoga, which came over from these. I remember 20, 30 years ago where church halls wouldn't provide their space because they thought it was the occult mm. or they thought it was dangerous, you know, but yoga now has integrated itself into our culture, certainly in the UK, but in Western Europe and Australia and most other places. In the same way, meditation has come along, and it's probably not quite as widespread as, as yoga, but meditation and mindfulness mm. is now sort of approaching the mainstream. And in my experience of people, a lot of people are sort of put off meditation or put off from exploring it because they think it's sort of mystical yeah, or it's yeah. some special sort of quality. And, and what I always suggest, and in fact, what I practice is I always say to people, you know, at the beginning of the day and at the end of day, sit down for five or 10 minutes, just yeah, sit yeah. In, in silence. Mm -hmm. And of course, thoughts arise, lots of thoughts arise. So you might think about something that happened during the day that upset yeah. you or think about your shopping list or whatever. Let all those thoughts arise, but just get into the habit of sitting quietly with yourself. Yeah. And you'll begin to see that you begin to drop down into a quieter, stiller place. And it's like everything else. I, I would say whatever I'm talking about is like golf because People who are good at golf spend four or five hours on the golf course every yeah. day. That's how they get good at it. And we need to just practice this. Not, I've known people that have launched into sort of one or two hours of meditation every day. And I think that's unhelpful when you're trying to learn about inner silence and inner stillness. Yeah. But you start in very small ways. In exactly the same way, I coach a lot of people. If you're in the office... If you, if you know, not everyone goes to an yeah. office now, but in the yeah. days when people went to an office, if you go to an office and you're upset by something or you're triggered by something, go to the lavatory, sit on the lavatory for three minutes or four minutes and just calm down, just breathe yeah. and just sit with silence, sit with yourself. Mm -hmm. and, and three or four minutes can make a big difference. And, you know, in the same way, Sometimes, if we're fortunate enough, we can go for a walk in nature. These are really simple things. But what you know and what I know, Lara, there are millions of people that have been practicing these simple things, and they will all tell you the benefits. There is something that people often say uh, to me, like, yeah, we sit in silence so long and we meditate and actually it sometimes feels worse. I thought a lot about it and all along my conversations with you, Andrew, I just realized that I wish I could go back to my conversation with them and say <laughs> what was happening probably when you are in silence is that you went along with these thoughts merging with them rather than rising and observe them being aware that these are only thoughts 
they're not you. They're just passing through you. And that, I think, is the difference between being in real silence and being aware that you are not one with these thoughts that are occurring, that are merging to the surface, and the difference between getting down in the loop of going downhill with all these thoughts. Can you just uh, try and explain that a bit better? Mm. Well, I think you explained it perfectly, and I agree with everything you say, but it's a really important distinction, and I think there are two separate issues. And this goes back identically to the conversation we had about fake it to make yeah. it and buying flowers for your wife when you're furious with her. So what's happening is if I sit down in silence, and this has happened to mm. me, if I sit down in silence and suddenly this rage comes up or this resentment, which I didn't really know mm. I had, the beauty of that is that the unconscious is revealing something I didn't even know I had which is an obstacle without me knowing I had that obstacle. So it's coming up to be cleared. Yeah. It's coming up in the silence. If I suddenly, there's this massive revenge story yeah. comes, whatever yeah. it is, when we, when we take time to be still with ourselves, anything can come up. So for me, it's healthy and desirable for these uncomfortable feelings to arise and for us to sit with the uncomfortable yeah. feeling and to allow it to clear, because that is, is one of the main purposes of sitting with silence and clearing the murky waters of the unconscious. Mm. Equally, there are other times, exactly as you describe, where a thought arises. The thought might be, oh, what she said to me was unkind. And then I start churning the thought and I attach exactly. to it. That's and I feed it like pouring petrol on it rather than just letting the thought pass through. And we all you know, do you that. You identify yeah. with it. You become it and you, you go in spiral and you, you, you feel worse than when you first went in silence. And, you know, we've all heard people say, I've said it, that when you sit in silence, you, you let thoughts arise yeah. and you watch them traveling through mm. like a cloud in the sky. But then then a thought arises and you you grab onto yeah, it and you, and you just with can't, it. it feels like you can't let go of it. And so, and that that's fine. Everything, whatever's happening is fine. It's not wrong. And it's part of the experience of sitting in silence. And just one other thing is, um, you know, many people who might be listening to this live on their own yeah. and some people live with other people. But what we've all experienced is sitting in silence with a friend or with another or in a group is infinitely more powerful. So what I find time and time again is if I sit with one other person, it's like one plus one equals yeah, seven. Yeah. If you sit in a group of people, you, you can still be distracted and everything, but a, a group of you know, I was I was recently on a retreat in Italy and you sit in with a group of people and you drop into what I call the quantum field, mm. the field of infinite possibility, mm. much more easily or much quicker because you've got a field around you of others inviting you into that yeah. field. Yeah. So this is a very helpful thing to do. Mm. It's also a very lovely thing to invite a friend or a lover or a spouse or someone 
to sit with you. Yeah, of course. And the fact that um, you are surrounded by people that have the same beliefs that, you know, that they believe in that quantum field that you're describing makes it somehow more accessible and you feel, you feel, you know how sometimes we say when you set an intention, it's also helpful to feel yourself already there, like not just wanting it to happen, but you feel what you would feel in your body when this intention has happened, like when it's live. That's the feeling I often have when I'm within a group of people. Exactly. And I, you know, over the years, I have regularly gone into offices and sat in a boardroom with 10 or 12 people. And it's always interesting doing it round a boardroom table and, and sat in silence and then done a very, very simple guided meditation. And, and it's always incredibly powerful. People just take 10 or 15 minutes out of their day and they go back to their desk refreshed. Mm. And of course, they work better. Yeah. It's incredible because everything changes when you manage to do that. Your energy. It really does. What you attract. I mean, the, the, the magic is, uh, is really there. But, uh, and unfortunately, and you know, it doesn't really matter why, but most of us, 90-something percent of us, we, we live in a culture where there is too much noise and there is not enough stillness and not enough silence. Mm -hmm. the, culture we've created is frenetic mm -hmm. and so it's very important that we find ways to you know for, for for some people it's gardening yeah you know uh spending an hour or two hours in the garden is incredibly mm -hmm. therapeutic mm -hmm. listening to the birds it, it, this is one other aspect of when we talk about silence yeah. many people have have sort of commented that in one sense there's no such thing as pure silence so often when we're in silence, we might hear the birds, we might hear little noises, we might hear our breath, yeah. we might hear our heart. So this is, um, you know, when we talk about being still or being silent, we're, we're not talking about the absence of, noise, of, of any course. sound necessarily. No, exactly. It's just silencing, uh, silencing these thoughts, but not really just by observing them, letting them be, but not assimilating with them. Not exactly holding on right. to them and going. That's wonderful. And, you know, the link, the link is the next podcast is non-attachment yeah. or the law of detachment. Yeah. And, and that's a very obvious and very lovely link because once we learn about the law of pure potentiality, the internet field, creating intention and, and the law of non-attachment, mm -hmm. then you really can manif manifest what you like. The beauty of these laws is they're all so inter, like they go with each other. Like you can't, like the whole of the seventh leads to one miracle. It's, it's Yes, it's like, I sometimes think of them as like threads that are woven together. True, yeah. and, and, and that's an analogy that people have used in the past, that if you have, you know, seven threads that are all woven together, you end up with a rope that is not just seven times stronger, but probably 70 times stronger. And that's exactly how this works. Yeah, yeah. So anything else you want to add or um, any advice or anything? I think the one thing we haven't dealt with very 
adequately or thoroughly. I touched on it or referred to it right at the beginning. But for me, intention arises from the body. So, you know, we, we can sit rationally and think goal setting, I want more money, I want a relationship, I want a Ferrari, I want to, you know, whatever. But for me, the process of crafting and creating intention is to sit with ourselves, to create silence, to create space, yeah. and then to listen to the body, to, to breathe, to listen and to allow the intention, maybe to gently ask ourselves, you know, what is my deepest intention? What is my dream? What is my, what, you know, what do I want to create in my life? And, and a lot of people, when they do this process, are surprised by what arises, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, but they resonate with it. Mm-hmm. So it's important just to emphasize that this is not uh, a difficult process. It's, it's not a, um, you know, a, a, a task running. It's, it's again, very simply sitting with ourselves and allowing our body to maybe our heart to reveal our intention. Uh, I read somewhere in the book, I don't remember at what point exactly, that it, it's advisable to keep your intention for yourself w- without talking too much about them to to others. Have I read that uh, properly? Or? I, I don't know, Lara, but there are there are two schools of thought, and I think both have a valid point, but neither are, you know, they're not stipulative. Yeah. So um, what you're referring to is is some people create an intention mm-hmm. and they go around telling everyone and boasting about yeah. it. And then, of course, when it doesn't happen, they fall flat on yeah. their face and they... so. You know, there is a view to say, just keep it to yourself Mm. and work on the alignment and quietly bring it into practice. Mm. There's another school of thought that says part of the power of intention is to share it with friends. So you kind of make it public, you make it more real, and you invite your friends to be advocates, to be real friends and say, Andrew, you, you know, you might say to me, Andrew, you know, you told me you wanted to lose weight and you've just ordered some cheesecake. What yeah. do you, you yeah. know? <laughs> so you have people helping you monitor, yeah, exactly. that you stay aligned. And, and one of the things that I do, it's a slightly different situation, but it's, it's almost like a third scenario with this. If I'm working for, with a business, which I, I do work with quite a few businesses now, and we spend a day crafting and creating an intention for the business, yeah. And one of the things they might say is we want to create value of £100 million or whatever it is, as example. And at the end of the day, I say, okay, go home to your office and tomorrow morning put this on your website. And they go, they become hysterical. And they say, no, 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 we couldn't possibly do that. And, And the reason I do that is not necessarily because I want them to put it on their website, but what it demonstrates is there's a part of them that is already working against yes, the intention. Yes, I see, exactly. Because they're yes. embarrassed by it. Yes. They're, they're embarrassed about telling the world they want to make lots of yes. money. And, uh, you know, in the English culture, that's quite dominant. It's less dominant in the American culture. But whatever it is, mm. you know, we might create an intention. Yeah. And then we're embarrassed, and that is an obstacle. Mm-hmm. That is a resistance within totally. us. 
So it's very helpful to see that. It, it reminds me of something I heard Brené Brown say about, you know, when you have a, a real, like you mean it to have this intention, you're prepared to jump in the arena and fail if that's what has to happen. But that's how much exactly. you want it. So yeah. it's great. Thank you. That's I it. Love yeah, I love her too. <laughs> and thank you for mm. everything, Andrew. It was amazing to discuss that with you. Really great. Well, I, love, I, open. I love talking thank about you. this. And I, I look for, I look forward to non-attachment. Yes, me too. Can't wait. <laughs> See you next time. Have a great All weekend. Right, God Bye. Bless. Bye. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation and the explanation of Andrew about this law of intention and desire. The next podcast we will be recording will still be with Andrew and we will discuss law number six, the law of detachment. What a powerful law to be able to just wish for things with this very spiritual way of being detached of the outcome. More to look forward to and I can't wait to be with you again very soon. Please remember to share this podcast and just forward it to as many people as you think may be benefiting from it. Um, the more we share, the more we will help people navigate through these very hard moments and uh, thank you for listening.